Hello and welcome to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm your host, Prudence Robertson. October is Respect Life Month. We're joined by Bishop Michael Burbage of Virginia, who currently serves as the head of the U.S. Bishop's Pro-Life Committee. He shares how we can pray and work to end abortion this month, as well as his perspective about the role of informed Catholic voters at the ballot box, with 2024 just around the corner. One-on-one with Abby Johnson, a woman responsible for saving the lives of many, Abby shared about her mission to help abortion workers leave that dark industry. A witness to the saving power of the sacraments, Abby spoke about the Catholic Church's important call to lead from the front on life. Abortion survivors. Melissa Odin's life is a miracle. She survived a saline abortion designed to take her life before her first breath. Now, her organization works to unite people like her who have beat the odds and lived to tell their stories. During this month of October, the church celebrates Respect Life Month. A concerning poll issued last year by the Associated Press found that a majority of American lay Catholics, 63%, believe that abortion should be legal, a rejection of Catholic Church teaching. Meanwhile, an initiative spearheaded by U.S. bishops walking with moms in need has inspired many in our church to reach out in care to women who are facing an unexpected pregnancy and provide them with the resources they need to choose life. Joining me now is Bishop Michael Burbage of the Catholic Diocese of Arlington, Virginia. He serves as the chairman of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops Committee on Pro-Life Activities. Your Excellency, thank you for joining me today. The theme for this year's Respect Life Month is radical solidarity. Can you explain what that means and how it's been lived out by the faithful so far this October? Yeah, thanks so much. Great being with you, uh, Prudence. Uh, radical solidarity is a term we first uh, learned from uh, Pope St. John Paul II, and was his way of describing uh, that sense of uh, providing uh, uh, extreme, uh, extraordinary, uh, life-giving support and personal accompaniment uh, to mothers uh, as they prepare to bring their child uh, into the world, and especially solidarity with mothers in need, uh, those who may need uh, counseling, who may need financial assistance, who may need housing, who may uh, need diapers or or basic necessities, so that every mother uh, so blessed uh, uh, to to be carrying a child in her womb will know that she is not alone, uh, that we are walking with her as fellow members uh, and brothers and sisters in Christ to support in in any way possible. So life uh, is always uh, the gift to be celebrated. Of course. And and part of that radical solidarity is, of course, mercy. And it's not just women and babies who are affected by abortion, but all those who work in the abortion industry are deeply affected as well. What does the church offer, Your Excellency, to those who have maybe aided and abetted an abortion perhaps many times, but they regret it and want to change course? Well, you're right. Uh, Many times people who have participated in the abortion in in any capacity, as you mentioned, uh, 
very often there are deep wounds and there's a sense of heavy burden and guilt and shame. Right. And of course, our Lord loves us so much. He does not want us to carry that around. And so he offers us uh, that opportunity to be freed from it, uh, to express to him a contrite heart, a desire to begin again. And whenever we do that, Prudence, we know uh, that there is no sin uh, greater than God's love and mercy for those who are truly sorry uh, and who want to uh, begin that path uh, of, of holiness. Uh, our God is so gracious. He never tires of forgiving us. And uh, I, and, and along with so many people, my brother priests, those who work in Project Rachel ministry, for mm. example, yes. could tell you miraculous stories of uh, mothers and fathers who participate in abortion or even some in the medical profession who have been have become a new creation. Uh, having discovered uh, the love and the mercy of God. So that's always available to us. The church always stands ready uh, to walk with people in need of God's mercy. Yes, there's always hope. And, and Bishop, some may think that they are beyond the point of receiving mercy and confession on this front. What's the truth about that? Well, there is no sin uh, greater than God's love and mercy. Uh, you know, I think the evil one wants us to deceive us. It wants to deceive us into thinking that what I did was so grave or I'm so unworthy uh, that we won't even ask. That's what he wants us to do, mm. to give up, not to ask, to despair. That's not what God wants. Uh, God wants to free us. Uh, God wants to, He's, you know, as we know in Scripture, there are sins maybe as scarlet as red. They can become white as snow. Mm. Uh, that's what God offers to us. Amen. Shifting gears a bit, Bishop, we are about to enter a pivotal election year, 2024, and much of the public debate is already centering around abortion. How should Catholics approach this coming year? Well, of course, uh, protecting uh, life, the sacredness of life, especially the preborn, especially the most vulnerable, is always a preeminent issue for us. Mm. We have to get that right from the beginning. And uh, that's why, uh, you know, protecting our preborn, defending uh, them uh, and, and the sacredness of all human life is the key issue. Um, and so uh, as Catholics, uh, we have to let our voice be heard in the public arena. And what better way to do that? Uh, than to uh, use the sacred duty and obligation that is ours than to vote. Uh, but, of course, we vote not merely as citizens. We vote as faithful citizens. And so we have to have a faithful conscience, a, a well-informed conscience. We have to know uh, who the candidates are and what their positions are. Mm. Uh, and we have to always choose that which will protect life the sacredness uh, and, and dignity and respect that belong uh, to all people as, as children of, of God. Uh, and it is, as you said, this is a crucial, crucial time uh, in, our, in our church in, in the United States uh, with so many, uh, uh, you know, with the, with the right uh, of protecting life coming back to our states. We have to get out there. And, you know, I, we, we know that opposition to life um, are spending a, a lot of money, uh, mm -hmm. pouring money into key states uh, like Ohio, for example, uh, and you know putting on ads that are you know distort the truth and uh, misrepresent people, misrepresent candidates. They have all this money, but you know what? It doesn't matter. We have the truth, <laughs> and if we act upon that and we get out and vote, 
then no matter how much money is being poured in to false advertising and things like that would not would not defeat us. Right. What defeats us if we don't get out there and use uh, our voice to be heard. Uh, and I, I often say, sadly, uh, that in this day and age, uh, I think if people are making it easier to vote because candidates are drawing the line right down the middle. Mm. And it's really clear what side they stand on, good or evil, protecting life or destroying life. Yes, and there is victory in the truth. And Bishop Michael Burbage, we're so grateful for your courageous leadership in defending the unborn, and we're grateful you could join us today. Thank you so much. God bless Thank you. Thank you so much, Chris. God bless you and your listeners. And now some more headlines moving the nation. This week, Vice President Kamala Harris was in Arizona, wrapping up her pro-abortion tour around the country. For the past month, the vice president has been to seven different stops on the Fight for Our Freedoms college tour in an effort to encourage young people to get out and vote. Pro-life groups have labeled the events the Abortion Activism Around America tour that is meant to indoctrinate young people. Vice President Harris has, of course, hit many key swing states in addition to Arizona, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, to name a few. Some of her overarching messages include calls for Congress to codify Roe v. Wade and labeling legislators who have advanced pro-life laws as extremists. At a North Carolina stop, she had a confusing message for students, saying that they don't have to give up their faith or deeply held beliefs to be pro-abortion. Next up, in Louisiana campaign news, former pro-life attorney general of Louisiana, Jeff Landry, has been elected governor of his state. He'll replace Democrat John Bell Edwards, who was previously the only Democrat governor in the Deep South. Landry, a former member of Congress with a background in law enforcement, has repeatedly championed pro-life efforts in Louisiana. As attorney general, he's worked to defend pro-family laws in the state that nearly ban all abortions and protect children from controversial sex change surgeries. And one more story out of Texas, Attorney General Paxton is suing the review site Yelp. When the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, the head of Yelp took it upon himself to try and direct business away from pro-life pregnancy centers. How? By adding misleading disclaimers to the Yelp pages of pregnancy centers across the nation. The original disclaimer on the site pages read that the centers, quote, typically provide limited medical services and may not have licensed medical professionals on site. The disclaimer has since been updated to read, this is a crisis pregnancy center. Crisis pregnancy centers do not offer abortions or referrals to abortion providers. As Bishop Burbage mentioned earlier, the shame of abortion should never have the last word. And our next guest is proof of that. 14 years ago, Abby Johnson left her role as clinic director at Planned Parenthood. And since then, she's been on a mission to help other abortion workers quit the deadly industry. When we sat down with her, she shared her story. We're here with Abby Johnson. Abby, thank you so much for being here with me today. Of course, anytime. Of course. Um, for people who don't know your story, could you briefly just share um, share it with me and talk about the organizations that you founded um, since kind of your conversion to being pro-life? Yeah, so this month actually marked 14 years of being out of Planned Parenthood. So congratulations. A long time. Praise God. Uh, yeah, I don't know when I... Stop counting, but uh, but yeah, um, 
I worked at Planned Parenthood for eight years. I was a, a clinic director there, ended up being a clinic director for the organization. And, you know, just started in college, worked my way up, and thought I was doing the right thing for women, thought I was helping women. I ended up having two abortions myself and eventually left after a series of things happened, but ultimately left after watching a live ultrasound guided abortion take place and saw a 13-week-old baby fight and struggle for his life against the abortion instruments. And I knew then, after seeing that, that there was life in the womb, that there was humanity in the womb. And I knew that what I had believed was a lie, what I had been told was a lie. And I just knew that if those things were true, if what I had seen on that screen was true, that there was a life there, um, that women should not be allowed to make this choice to take the life of this separate human being. I knew that if those things were true, that I was on the wrong side of this debate. And so I ended up leaving and have been making noise about abortion ever since and have really been trying to expose what's taking place inside of these facilities, but also what really is, really drives me and my passion is really helping people heal from, from the damage, this, this wreckage that abortion has caused, not only women who have had abortions, but men who have been affected by abortion, and particularly those who have worked in the abortion industry. I think that they are a, a forgotten group of people who are, who can be uh, very seriously traumatized from what they have experienced and, and witnessed in these facilities. And that was why I started my first ministry and then there were none. And our goal specifically is to get abortion clinic workers out of the grips of these abortion facilities and to get them on a, a pathway um, to, to live in the will of, of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And um, it's actually interesting to note too that the overwhelming majority of these abortion workers that, that come to us do have some sort of faith foundation. Mm -hmm. And if they do have a faith foundation the majority of those that do were raised Catholic. Interesting. And they're fallen away Catholics. And so it's very, it's, it's crucial, it's critical mm -hmm. for us to talk to these workers and to get them back into the sacraments. Yeah. And so that's one of the first things that we do. We need to get them um, into the sacrament of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And, and you can see I mean, of course, we know that there's um, a, a soul change, right? Um, but you can actually see a physical change mm. in them. You can see a physical change in their skin, the way that their skin looks. Wow. You can see a change in their posture, the way that they walk in and the way they walk out. They look physically different. And then, of course, getting them back in, you know, getting them back into the Eucharist. Right and having them actually receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so that was, that was the first thing I started. And we have been so blessed. God has just blessed us so tremendously. We've been able to, to walk with over 660 wow. 
abortion clinic workers that have left so far. Coming up, more from our conversation with Abby Johnson. Plus, the latest update from the Abortion Survivors Network. We speak to the founder, Melissa Odin. You're watching EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Welcome back to our program. During our conversation with Abby, we also asked her about the role of the Catholic Church in the pro-life movement. Take a look. And Abby, I'm so glad that you brought up Catholicism because you and I were both devout Catholics. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on the role of the Catholic Church in this post-Roe world. Um, Do you think we're doing a good job of of paving the way to create a more pro-life culture where abortion really is unthinkable. Um, yeah, talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, well, you know, there's a, I think there's kind of this thought in the pro-life movement, um, and I think just in our culture in general, yes. that if you want to think about the pro-life movement, when you do think about the pro-life movement, you think about the Catholic Church. And I hear all the time from from people who, you know, from non-Catholics, they'll say, well, you know, I'm not Catholic, you know, or I don't I don't agree with, you know, all things Catholic, but I do have to give them credit for everything they've done in the pro-life <laughs> movement. I, I hear that all the time. Yeah. Um, and so I do think that there's just kind of this overarching understanding that when it comes to the pro-life movement, Catholics have been leading this movement. We have been at the front of this movement. We haven't been leading from behind. We have been leading from the front. And I think that 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 is critical, that we continue to lead from the front. And and we see that happening. We see that happening in in parishes um, through the program, Walking with Moms in Need. Uh, You know, the USCCB rolled that out. That's a beautiful program. And that's happening in, in parishes all around the country. And so that's an amazing program. We see that happening uh, through Rachel's Vineyard, um, Project Rachel. So many, you know, post-abortion healing programs taking place that are are literally happening in Catholic parishes. Um, I talk to priests all over the country and, and they're saying, you know, Abby, now it's standard practice for me to have information in the confessional, you know, on uh, after abortion care, crisis pregnancy care, just right there Mm -hmm. in the confessional so they can hand that to women who are in need. Yeah. So I think that the Catholic Church is continuing to lead in the pro-life fight because that's part of who we are. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a core tenet of the Catholic Church, you know, that gospel of life. And, and Pope Francis talks about, you know, this gospel of accompaniment. And that, that's what we do so well in the church. We accompany those in need. To close out our program, an update from the Abortion Survivors Network. The network, founded by abortion survivor Melissa Odin, works to connect people who learn that their parents intended to end their lives by abortion. While many think this is rare and secular media outlets deny that it happens, researchers at the Abortion Survivors Network estimate that over 85,000 babies have been born alive after failed abortions since 1973. Many of these people have come forward to share their stories, which have revealed 
revealed some gruesome truths about how dangerous abortion can be for mom and baby. Melissa Odin, the founder of the Abortion Survivors Network, joins me now. Melissa, thank you for being here as always. You help so many people in their journeys. Could you share about your own? You survived a saline abortion, and I'm curious, when you learned this, how it impacted you in the following days, months, and years? Yeah, the reality is that babies survive abortions. We survived before Roe versus Wade. Many of us survived during Roe versus Wade and babies are still surviving abortions today. I am one of those babies who survived an abortion at about 31 weeks. I was poisoned and scalded for about five days before I was accidentally born alive. And that is really, Prudence, what put me on this path to being a part of the pro-life movement and humanizing the pre-born and serving survivors like me and moms and their families. Yeah. And you've been very active here on Capitol Hill for a number of years, sharing your inspiring story with lawmakers to really raise awareness about the reality of this. Uh, what have you been up to on the Hill this week? We were so honored to join Senator Marshall and Kristen Hawkins from Students for Life, as well as Melanie Israel from the Heritage Foundation, to raise awareness about late-term abortions and why this is important, not just in this election cycle that we are in, but in our daily lives and in our culture. So that's what we were here talking about. We are, of course, meeting with members of Congress so they can put a face and a name to even the concept of abortion. And this is something that is part of what we have to do with the Abortion Survivors Network. We we serve survivors, we serve moms, we serve families, but we have to raise awareness and educate and stop this from happening in the first place. Right. And you mentioned you serve not only uh, survivors, but women who are pregnant, families as well. And I'm curious about the resources that you provide for women whose abortions have not worked. Tell me about that part of your ministry. We, like many organizations after Roe versus Wade was overturned, went into a, a planning process of looking what gaps exist in the pro-life community and our culture. And we realized that we needed to serve women who were experiencing failed abortions. They were stopping them or they were experiencing an abortion pill reversal. There's never been anybody in the pro-life movement who supported these moms and provided them information and case management and emotional and social support for the long term. So that's what we are so honored to provide. We have social workers on our staff who support moms who may be pregnant right now after their first attempt to abort failed. And a lot of times they're being coerced or even forced to abort again or they're so scared. So we get to provide information. We get to provide resources and support, connect them to medical providers who can provide quality medical care. We stand alongside those moms and then ultimately those survivors throughout their lifetime. So with one-on-one -on -one support as well as group support. So if folks have experienced a failed stop to reversed abortion or know somebody who has, they can reach out to us at abortionsurvivors.org. We'd love to help support them. We also support adoptive families who struggle with how and when and what to tell an abortion survivor. Mm. And if you're a professional, maybe medical professional or adoption prof professional, and you want to be trained on how to even talk about this or what this involves, we offer that now as well. Mm, that's great to know. And Melissa, I'm curious, since the overturn of Roe versus Wade, how has your work really been impacted? And specifically, because more women sadly could be turning to illegal abortions, do you think more helpless children are being born alive now than, than before? Absolutely. I can say that even in the numbers that we've seen, Prudence, you know, I was expecting to see more 
abortion survivors because of the increase in the chemical abortion pill and it being taken in later stages and women not knowing how far along they are. But I can tell you it has been eye-opening for me, even though I've been in this work for 16 years, it's been eye-opening to see the number of women reaching out to us who have taken the pill at two weeks, three weeks, Mm -hmm. find out they're still pregnant and that mom is at risk and baby is at risk. And so, yes, it's changed everything for us. But in God's great wisdom, right, he's allowed us to use it for good. Yeah, that's chilling. But it's it's good to know that you guys are helping these women through those difficult times. Melissa, before I let you go, I understand you have a new book coming out. Tell me a little bit about it. I do. So my second book is Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence. It's coming out in January of 2024, right before the March for Life. So, you know, you may see me slinging some books, Uh, (laughs) happy to sign them. And uh, it's been, you know, four years in the making and really a labor of love because I get to share the story of about 10 other abortion survivors, also a former abortionist, uh, a nurse who helped care for an abortion survivor Mm. to really humanize and, and even share through the voices of women who have walked through this themselves. We need to give these voices the opportunity to be heard so hearts and minds can truly be touched and changed. Yeah. Wow. Well, we cannot wait to read it. And we're so grateful that you could join us today. Melissa Odin of the Abortion Survivors Network. God bless you as always. Thank you. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Don't forget you can find us on EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms, Twitter, now X, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. And if you're interested in more news from our nation and world, go to EWTN.com forward slash pro-life and sign up for our newsletter, The Pro-Life Pulse. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.